0: Good morning, Covenant College. It's my privilege to introduce today's chapel speaker, but first, two announcements. Tomorrow, 11 a.m. in the library, right there, Denny Wise, starting with Act 16 for public reading of scripture. So be there, Chick-fil-A, we'll be there. Secondly, two days till spring break. I was praying for you this morning, and I wanted to share what I was praying. I'm praying that you have a restful, a rejuvenating break. I'm also praying that you have a wise spring break. I'm praying that you are a good friend during spring break. Kindness is not the same thing as blindness. To turn a blind eye to someone who may be making an unwise decision, love someone enough to stand in their path and say, is that the best choice right now? So rest well, rest wisely, love one another. Finally, I had the privilege in 2019 to be the chair of our pastoral search committee, and one of the opportunities that the chair has is to make the initial phone call to your top list of candidates. And I reached out to uh, Dennis Lewis, who was in the Bahamas at the time, a native son, and um, every one of my phone calls with the other folks went about 30 to 45 minutes. I think we went about an hour and a half. My wife is my witness. I came upstairs and I said, I think we found our guy. Dennis um, is a first-class chess player, a brewer of kombucha, an appreciator of oxtail, a big fan of disc golf. He's the father of Maddie, Virginia, Caden, and George the husband of Theresa. He's a powerful preacher of the word of God. He's a faithful shepherd and discipler of his flock. So please give a warm Scots welcome to my pastor, my brother, my friend, Dennis Lewis.
1: Man, man, you know, like when somebody is introducing you, you, you hear the words and you're like, yeah, I think that's me, but it doesn't feel like me <laughs> at times. I, I could go on and on about how privileged it is for me to be here. We pray for you all often. We love our college students. It's amazing for me to be here with you today. And today, I, I want to take some time. Uh, this message is actually very personal because Psalm 27 is a psalm that I've been meditating on all for the last month. And I, I nearly jumped out of my seat. Oh, I was already standing. I, mean, I nearly jumped on top of the platform when they read it because I couldn't believe that, um, that they read that. And I didn't give anyone my text ahead of time. And today, what I want to share with you is something uh, straight out of my devotional, um, straight out of my heart, that I hope is a blessing to you today. That's what I'm going to do. Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And I just want to read it for you. I'm going to read the first six verses. And then we're going to pray and dive in. Hear now the inspired, inerrant, holy word of God. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid? When even evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, That will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Well all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the Lord shall endure forever and this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word, and these are your people. Holy Spirit, come now. Show them the beauty of your word. and More importantly, show them the beauty of the Savior. Bless us all now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Um, there's a picture that I, uh, that I typically see every time I'm coming off of, I think it's Broad Street on the Tennessee Avenue. It's right by the Cat Cafe. Everybody know where the Cat Cafe is? Okay, I'll, I'll come back and preach a sermon on the Cat Cafe a little bit later, but that's not why I mentioned that. There's a, there's a picture right before you reach the Cat Cafe, and, and it's, it's a, a photograph of a couple on their wedding day. And the photographer, some of you know that photo? Yeah, the photographer understood the assignment. Because what, what it is, it's, it's a woman, right? And she's dressed beautifully. She's dressed beautifully. And, and the picture is of her back looking at her husband-to-be. And he has his hand over his mouth like this, and he has this smile on his face. And, and when you look at him, you can tell he's absolutely overwhelmed by her beauty. Absolutely overwhelmed by it. Now, in one sense, we could say that, that he was overwhelmed by the aesthetics of it all. She was a beautiful person, but, but nobody else was giving her that look because she was beautiful. We could also say it was probably because of her character. And that might be the case, but that wasn't a look because he fell in love with her because of her character, amen? But that's, that's one way to do it. But it's also not a look you give someone just because you're in relationship with them. Because I'm sure her parents thought she was beautiful and had an amazing character. Oh, no. That was a look of someone who understood the moment and the totality of what is before him. And everything in that moment coalesced. The place, the person, the atmosphere, everything came together, and he was absolutely overwhelmed by the beauty that's before him. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this. Nothing compares to the beauty that David saw when he entered into the temple of the Lord. In that moment, every single aspect of who God is completely overwhelmed David. If you look at the scripture, the scripture says pretty plainly that when David went into the temple, he went to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What does the scripture mean by gazing on the beauty of the Lord? It means to look upon with complete pleasure and satisfaction. That's what was happening to David in that moment. As he looked at God, he looked with complete satisfaction and pleasure at everything that God was, his character, his grace, and his beauty. And in that moment, it had a profound effect on David, as beauty often does. And I want to share with you three quick things that, in this passage that David shows us that as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, what does it do to us? The first thing I want to point, it out, point out is that it helps us to face the ugliness of the world. In four verses and seven expressions, David gives us the ugliness of the world. First of all, David says in verse number uh, 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. What does it mean to eat up my flesh? That's what David says. It's a way of describing the immense suffering and anguish we experience in the world. It's the totality of it. There are many of you inside here today are feeling the anguish of the world. It feels like your flesh is being eaten up. And it could be for any reason, it could be for any amount of reasons, probably the disappointments of this life, probably the failures of this life. Notice David mentions again in verse number three that, that though wars rise against me, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the tragedy that we experience in life, the great tragedies that we experience in life, the injustice and the loss. And then in verse number 10, notice what David says, my, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. Again, literary language to talk about the fact that we have broken relationships that leave us undone. I saw a friend recently and they didn't look well and I asked them what was going on and they, they almost broke out in tears and they said, my family is in disarray. Maybe that's you inside here today feeling the weight the weight of broken relationships. And David says, in the face of these broken relationships, in the face of his flesh being eaten up, in the face of the ugliness of the world, he turns to the beauty of the Lord. Notice with me in verse number 13, David says that the beauty of the Lord prevents him from despair. In verse number 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, the ESV doesn't quite bring out the essence of what David is saying here because David is making a comparative statement. And in fact, the original Hebrew has a preposition that I think the KJV writers bring this out. And here's what they say. And verse number 13, the KJV uh, uh, translation of the Bible says this, I had fainted unless, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That unless is important. Because David is saying that in the face of the hardship and difficulties in the world, unless he can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, he would have fainted. How many of you feel like fainting today? Absolutely. There's seldom a day, as a pastor, you go through and you don't feel like fainting. And it's important to recount the goodness of God's providence. The word "good" here is the word is the Hebrew word "tove," and it means to to look upon the ways in which God's hand of providence is in each and every one of our life. Do you know what providence is? Providence is God's most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing of all of his creatures and their actions. And you can see in those hard and difficult times the goodness of the Lord. David said, I would have given up. I would have thrown in the towel. I would have quit school. I would have quit life. I probably would have taken my own life unless... I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." What a tremendous statement. Next, I want you to see how the beauty of the Lord calms the fears in David's heart. Notice at the beginning of this passage, David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And then again, he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? David talks in verse number 13 about the confidence of the Lord from 13 down to 14. And I think it's interesting and quite remarkable, honestly, that David is saying here in a very honest, transparent, and vulnerable way that he is operating from a place of fear. David said, uh, the scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart, meaning that David was godly but he still operated from a place of fear. David was a warrior known for his bravery, but he still operated from a place of fear. David was a king and the most protected and safe man in all the kingdom, yet David still operated from a place of fear. And David is saying, the only thing that I can rest on is the fact that the Lord is my light and my salvation. David's son... Solomon said it a little bit more artfully in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Why is it that you and I fear so much life's circumstances? It's because we don't think that God is going to work them out in a way that is beautiful and right. And Solomon says that he will make everything beautiful in his time. I remember when my brother was getting married, I was his best man, which meant I was his lackey. And so he would send me out on errands from time to time, and I remember he sent me out on this one errand, and he said, go and find this person and tell them I need something. And I said, fine. So I went out and I was going through the, uh, we were in a hotel, I was going through all the rooms, and completely on accident, and I mean completely on accident, I walked into the room where the bride and the bridesmaids were getting ready. And it looked like a construction site. <laughs> there was duct tape and what looked like plaster. Um, the room was in complete disarray. And, and everywhere I looked, it was chaos. I promptly turned around and walked through the door, and I slammed the door behind, I closed the door behind me. And, and to my knowledge, nobody saw me. And I said to myself, there is no way these women are going to be ready by the time the wedding starts. <laughs> and as me and my brother stood up there and our, the, the bride, uh, the, you know, the groomsmen and all that, as we were standing there, you wouldn't believe it, but one by one, those women started walking down the aisle. And they all looked beautiful. And you couldn't see any of the duct tape you couldn't see any of the mess. They walked down that aisle and they were all beautiful. You know, I think sometimes beauty gives us, the beauty of the Lord gives us a beautiful perspective on life. I don't know what all of you all are going through. I don't know your unique challenges. I don't know the frustrations that you feel. I don't know the fears that are rumbling in your heart. But I do know this. He makes everything beautiful in his time. Not your time, not my time, not what's convenient for you, but in his time. And do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's a position of faith that the people of God are asked to keep. And that's what David is saying here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I fear? He goes on to say in verse number five, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tents. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And then at the beginning of verse number six, he says, now my head shall be lifted up. That's a man who understands the beauty of the Lord that he makes everything beautiful in his time. Well, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is simply this, how the beauty of the Lord transforms our soul. You know, David goes into the temple and he says he gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. And what's interesting to me is that David didn't see the beauty of the Lord like other people saw the beauty of the Lord. For instance, Moses saw the splendor of the back parts of God, or Isaiah saw the beautiful train that filled the temple, or the disciples saw the beauty of the transfiguration. That's not what David saw. David saw the beauty of the Lord in the temple in a, in a different way, and here's how we saw it. When David entered into the temple, you know the first thing he saw? He saw the sacrifices, the animals being slaughtered, the bowls being thrown up, on the altar and the smoke rising. The beauty that David saw was the grace that is offered through the sacrifices. And every time David saw those animals, he thought to himself, that should have been me, but it's not. That should have been me, but it wasn't. And therefore, David says, that's beautiful because I see the grace of the Lord that he spared me and put that animal in my place you know I have a mentor Um, when I was younger and I used to walk with him and I would go uh, as I was walking with him I would walk alongside of him and man I would dump all my problems onto him and I would tell him all my mess and all the troubles that were going on in my life and every now and then he would stop and he said Dennis look at that tree isn't that a beautiful tree and at first, I was incredibly annoyed. I was like, what are you doing? I'm not an arborist. Like, I don't know if that tree is beautiful or not. And then the next day and several days later, he would just point me to a tree. And he he's like, isn't that tree beautiful? He never really did tell me why he was pointing me to that tree. And in my pride at that time, I didn't bother asking him. But permit me in my closing time to point you to a tree you know isaiah says in isaiah 53 that jesus there was no majesty and beauty we should desire of him that aesthetically he wasn't pleasing aesthetically the cross was not pleasing But if I point you to the cross, I would say that the beauty of the cross isn't the bloody, broken savior on it, but the grace that flows from it. Because that grace transforms each and every one of us in here today into something far more beautiful than we actually are. You know, in Ephesians 5, 25, one of the most underrated verses in Scripture. Just from this sense, we often apply it to husbands and wives, but it says something powerful about the grace of God. Here's what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I could summarize that in uh, Dennis' language. Christ came to make you beautiful. You know, sometimes I look in the mirror and I see the results of aging. And man, I wish I could go back to my 20s when I was an Adonis. (laughs) (laughs) But man, my wife is a good cook. I'm not going back there. But I will tell you this, there's one way I'm being made beautiful. And that's through the grace of God. And I hope you remember that. Don't despair. Don't fear. God is making you beautiful. He will in his time. And he will for his glory. And you hold on to that. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace. As David says in this passage, help us to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and help us to inquire in his temple. I pray for each and every student here today. May they seek to see the face of Christ the one who has promised to present us beautiful before the throne of grace. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen.